Go ahead and be turning in your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 3 this morning. Exodus chapter 3 as we continue on through the Old Testament, through the unbroken story of what God is doing in the world. That's where we find ourselves this morning. I mentioned this passage a couple weeks ago, actually, as we talked about how God changes our identity. And I shared some of those life-changing moments in my life, um, and I don't expect you to remember all those, but like I said then, our passage this morning, this passage in Exodus 3, was instrumental in one of those moments in my life. Um, over the final year or two of my time in high school, God was doing something in my life. He was working in my life to call me into full-time Christian ministry, and that came at a time when you get asked a lot at that point in your life, right, what are you going to do next after you graduate? And you get asked um, a lot of times, um, you know, what are you going to study when you go to school? And you get those questions, probably more than is really helpful, but you get to ask them, and it's good because it keeps you focused that you need to have an answer and at least figure out what's next in those. And as I went through that process, I had a range of answers I would give people. First, I told them oh, I was going to be an accountant. Um, I went and shadowed my aunt, who's a CPA, and followed her for the day, and I actually loved that because I love the idea of working with numbers and the order of everything involved in that. In fact, I still do. Um, so that was one of my answers, but I was never content with that answer. And so then I moved on and said, I'll be an engineer because I enjoyed math, and I was told that if you enjoyed math and liked math, then you should be an engineer. And so I said, I'll be an engineer, and that was one of my answers until I spent a week at engineering camp one summer, which was not the best week of my life, but I won't go into all that this morning. If you have a chance to go, you might enjoy it, and so just go and experience that. Um, but I kind of moved on from that and said, okay, I'll be a math teacher, or I'll be even a music teacher. I was like, I'll take something I love. I get to share that with others. That seemed like a good natural fit to me. And so I had all these answers, and all of them made sense to me in some way, and yet none of them were God's answer. None of them were the path that God was calling me to, and I knew that all along because I had a pretty good idea the whole time what that path was, but to be honest, I just didn't really want to see it. I knew what God was calling me to, but I kind of didn't want to hear it, and I certainly didn't want to act on it. And you may have been there at times in your life as well where you had a vision and a plan for your life that was different from the one that God had for you. Maybe you've been there where you've heard other calls, the calls of other people, or the calls of maybe something that you wanted to do, and then there was God's call, and you wanted to pursue another path. Or even when <clears throat> you heard the call, but others in your life did not. I think the likelihood is we've all been there in some way, shape, or form. And yet, as I stand here before you this morning to preach, in large part, I do that due to the way God used this particular passage this morning from the book of Exodus to bring my heart into alignment with his. Because even when I had my own plans, God's plan remained unbroken, right? Even when I didn't see it, hear it, and act on his plan, God was still seeing, hearing, speaking, and acting in my life to bring about his will. My guess is this morning, as I said, we all could share similar stories about how God has patiently worked in our lives when we didn't walk where he was calling us to walk. And we've seen that over and over again, really already, as we've walked through the book of Genesis together with creation and Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, what we've seen there in Genesis. And we now continue to see in Exodus chapter 3 this morning is this, that God sees, hears, and acts to deliver his people. And so let's just take a look at it beginning in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. 
Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you... And the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go... You shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So we look at this passage in Exodus chapter 3, we see this, that God sees, God hears, and God acts to deliver his people. We looked last week at how God worked through the suffering and even in the evil that took place in Joseph's life to bring about the salvation of his people, even through the midst of all that was going wrong in the world, all that was broken in the world. And that resulted with God's people living in Egypt where Joseph had risen to a prominent position in the government. By the time we come, though, here to the book of Exodus, we're told that generations had passed to the point that nobody was even left in Egypt who remembered who Joseph was. You would think that the memory of Joseph would have been an important one to preserve. After all, God had used him, not just to save his own people, but also the Egyptians. And nevertheless, we see in this passage, and we know in our own lives how quick we are to forget our history. And from that forgetfulness, usually doesn't flow the best 
decision-making or the most stellar actions. And that's certainly the case in Egypt where the Pharaoh eventually comes to see the Israelites as a threat to his existence rather than the ones through whom God had actually preserved the existence of his nation. And seeing them as a threat, the Pharaoh ruthlessly enslaves the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 1. And then we see him go a step further than that. The Pharaoh was so determined to weaken and destroy the Hebrew people that he tells the midwives actually to kill all the sons born to Hebrew women. An order, thankfully, that they refused because they feared God. And still Pharaoh persisted in his plots and in his plans, decreeing every son born to the Hebrews should be thrown into the Nile. And that's when Moses' mother placed him in a basket and hid him among the reeds by the riverbank until he was ultimately discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh. And Moses was raised up from that point on in Pharaoh's court while the rest of the Hebrews were enslaved and oppressed. Actually, he was nursed by his own mother through God's providence in his life and through that situation. And yet, though we see one day when Moses was grown, he looked from his position of relative privilege and comfort compared to the rest of the Hebrew people, and he saw the burdens of his people. And when he saw the burdens of his people, particularly he saw one um, Egyptian who was beating one of his, his fellow Hebrew people, and we're told that he looked around and seeing no one, that Moses took justice into his own hands and killed the Egyptian. To his surprise, though, his look around apparently hadn't been as comprehensive as he thought, and he learned the next day that he had been witnessed, that he had been seen by someone else when he killed the Egyptian and hid the body. And so he winds up actually then on the run from Pharaoh, and he goes to a place called Midian where he would marry and make his home for the next 40 years. And while he's doing that, meanwhile, back in Egypt, the people of Israel continued to be oppressed and enslaved, and they were crying out for help under that oppression. They were broken down, desperate, and their cries rise up to the Lord. And at that point, Moses was far away in Midian. He was in no position to hear the cries of his people, but God was. And so one day when Moses was out leading the flock, he was going about his life. He looked over and he saw a bush that was burning but was not consumed. As one would be in that circumstance, as any of us would be, he was curious about what was going on. So he goes over to this bush to see what is happening. And that's when the Lord calls out to him from the bush by name, identifying himself as the God of Moses' fathers. And Moses, it says, hid his face because he was afraid to look at God because of his glory and majesty. And so that's where we come to our passage this morning, almost. Let's, one last thing before we'll dive into verse 7 and beyond, like I said, like we read this morning, but I think it's important to this passage that we understand how God identifies himself as he comes to Moses in the burning bush. Right? He comes to Moses as the God of his fathers, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? It matters because God's history with his people reveals to us who he is. And so when God identifies himself in this way, it's like a shorthand, really, for the entire book of Genesis, at least the last 38 or 39 chapters of Genesis. It's kind of like this morning, if you're, say you're broken down on the side of the road this morning on your way to church, and your car like, is completely you know, useless, won't start, won't run, won't do anything, right? it matters who stops to help you. Right? I could come up behind you, and I could stop, but I'm not going to be able to help you. 
very much. Like I might be able to help call somebody who could help you, but that probably doesn't help you that much because you've got your own phone and you can call your own person for help, right? And so I might be able to commiserate a little bit with you, you know, and say, oh yeah, this is awful, don't you? Like, yeah, I hate that this has happened to you, right? But I'm not actually going to be able to do anything to help solve your problem, right? But imagine though, different scenario, right? You're broken down on the side of the road and a master mechanic pulls up and offers to help you, right? That changes everything. That's someone with a track record of helping people in your position. Now you've got some hope because yes, hope is about the future, right? But it's also rooted in history, and this is the God of Abraham. This is the God of Isaac. This is the God of Jacob and of Joseph. When God says that, he's saying, I'm a God with a track record of rescuing my people from impossible situations. That is the Lord who speaks to Moses here in verse 7 and beyond. And we see God sees, God hears, and God acts to deliver his people. He starts out by telling Moses just that. God has seen the affliction of his people in Egypt, right? For Moses, God's people might have been out of sight and out of mind, but God still saw them. He saw every assault on their dignity, every attack on their lives, every restriction of their freedom. And he tells Moses he's heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Every time they cried out in pain and they cried out for relief, every time they cried out for rescue, every cry that maybe it seemed to them like it was just evaporating into the atmosphere, every one of those cries made its way to God's ear. Church, how would this transform our lives if we really believed this today? I mean, how often do we find ourselves buckling under the weight of our circumstances? And even as our hearts groan within us, instead of crying out for help to a God who hears, we're tempted to you know, say things like, just put, just put your head down, you're going to get through this, you can do this, you're, you're strong enough to get through this. I wonder how many this morning are carrying weights and burdens because we're afraid to cry out, God, I need help. Lord, I need you. I mean, I don't want to be the one to ask for help, right? Because it seems like often as we come together, it seems like maybe everybody else has it all together. And that's a lie that Satan is able to convince us of, that we're the only one that's struggling, that everyone else has it all together because we know that we all have needs and we all are struggling at times in our lives, even in our faith. And yet we like to act like we have it all together. Maybe even when somebody brings up their need, we take that opportunity to make ourselves look like we've got it all together. But that's a whole other sermon. The point here this morning is this, that we have a God who hears our cries. We have a God who sees our needs. He knows our needs. He knows our hearts. He knows our cries every single time. He saw their affliction. He heard their cry, and he said, I know they're suffering. I know they're suffering. In recent months, we've heard and we've seen people crying out in our nation over various issues. I'm not here to get political this morning, but I think if we're honest, we would say there are some cries, as many of us watch and listen, there are some cries that we hear that are hard for us to get our heads around. It can be hard for us to hear and understand the experiences of those that we do not share. It's hard for us to really understand what they are talking about, but God is not limited as we are. Thankfully, we have a God who knows our suffering. When we cry out to him, he understands our need even better than we do. He sees, he hears, he knows what his people are going through in slavery in Egypt, and 
He doesn't even stop there, thankfully, right? God sees, God hears, and then God acts. He steps in to deliver his people. Verse 8 is good news for us. God says, I have come down. God goes beyond attention and understanding, and he acts with intentionality to rescue his people. When God says he's come down, he's revealing a couple things to us about who he is there. First, he's a God who takes action when his people are in need. He doesn't just stand by and watch. And second, he's a God who draws closer to those who are hurting. God comes down to deliver his people out of the hand of the Egyptians. He'd seen their, dis- their distress. He'd heard it. He came down to save them from their captors. There will be no more ruthless taskmasters abusing his people. They will be free from those who oppress them and repress them. That is good news, but it gets even better because you might ask, right, what's next? If he's going to set them free from slavery in Egypt and they're going to go out of slavery in Egypt, well, then where are they going to go, right? What are they going to do from that? They're going to need a place to live. They're going to need homes. They're going to need somebody to provide for them a way of life. And God tells us he hasn't just purposed to bring his people out. He's also purposed to bring them up to a land that is good, a land flowing with milk and a land flowing with honey, a land of abundance and provision, a land he's promised to them generations ago. When God acts to deliver his people, it isn't just to get us out of trouble and then walk away and say, you got it from here, right? Wish us good luck. God delivers his people from a place of need, but also to a place of provision. He sees, he hears, he acts to deliver his people. That's the God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. That is the God of all of the Bible. It's the God we're here to worship this morning, whatever you are going through, whether anybody else sees it or hears it or knows it or not or even understands it, God sees it. And whatever burden you're carrying with you this morning, whether it's a struggle with temptation or something in your family or with your job or a financial situation, whatever it is, know this, that God has not lost sight of you today. And whether anyone else is hearing your cries for help this morning, God hears. And the best news of all is that he's the one with the understanding and the power to do something for us today. God sees, God hears, and God acts to deliver his people. What we see next as we continue in the story of Moses here is that that good news gets even better because God invites Moses then to see, to hear, and to join in his mission. Look at how God's language shifts in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, and now behold, God has seen and heard and acted, but now he's talking to Moses saying, Moses, you look, look at what is happening. Look at what is going on. Hear, Moses, the cries of my people. They've come to me. Moses, do you hear them? Moses, I've seen the way the Egyptians oppressed them. God's inviting Moses to see what he's seen, to see it from his perspective. He's calling Moses back to that day when he killed the Egyptian because he actually did see the burden of his people. Right At this point, Moses is far away from that day. Many years have passed. He's out in the wilderness in Midian, tending to the flock. What was happening there wasn't really affecting There in Egypt wasn't really affecting Moses' life on a daily basis. He's got a good family, a good job. Life was good, right? But God invites Moses to see and to hear the suffering of his people. And then he calls Moses to follow him a step further. He calls Moses to join him, not just to say, yeah, that's bad, what's happening over there. But he calls Moses to join him in his mission to set his people Free. And he says to Moses in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God invites Moses into his mission. And as their conversation unfolds, we see that God's mission comes with God's presence, promises, 
and plan. It's really just one layer on top of the other as we walk through these next several verses. It's great. It's amazing that God invites Moses to join in his mission to deliver his people from slavery. But we already said that it matters immensely who shows up to help. It matters that God has a track record of rescuing his people. It matters because Moses does not, right? And so Moses begins to answer God's invitation with a few questions of his own, beginning with the most obvious question, God, who am I to go and bring the people, your children, out of Egypt? Am I really the best option? Am I the best that you can do, Lord? I'm not going to be able to do this, basically, is what he's saying. I'm not the one. But notice how God answers that question in verse 12, or better yet, notice how God really doesn't answer that question. Right? Sometimes God is gracious to us and merciful to us to answer the question we should have asked instead of the one that we do ask. We see that here. He doesn't, we might have expected God to look at Moses at this point and say, Moses, you can do this, right? You're the only one for the job. You're the best man for the job. You grew up in Pharaoh's house. You see and hear the need of your people, and you understand the inner workings of the Egyptian government. You can do this, Moses. But instead of that pep talk, God answers Moses with a different perspective. God's mission comes with God's presence. His answer doesn't focus on Moses' identity. God focuses his answer on his own identity. He says, Moses, I will be with you. God doesn't call Moses to go alone and in his own strength and power and understanding. God calls Moses to go with him. God's mission comes with God's presence, and that's critical because then what's layered on top of that is this, that God's presence comes with God's promises. God's presence comes with God's promises. Again, it matters who shows up to help, right? Presence is a powerful thing. It makes a difference when we're hurting and when we're going through something When people show up for us, right, that means so much to us. But it's even more powerful when we know they aren't just there for a moment, but that they're there with us for the long haul. God says Moses will know he's with him because once God brings the people out of Egypt, they'll worship him on the very mountain where Moses is standing. God's presence with Moses comes with God's promises for his people. And so as Moses asks about the name of God, God's answer to Moses points to his eternally unchanging nature. He says, I am who I am. God's presence isn't fleeting. He isn't a person who's flighty, right? He's not there one minute and God the next. God's promises come, God's presence comes always with his promises. He's always there. He's never changing. He always keeps his word, right? We've seen it going back to Genesis chapter 1. When God spoke, and said, let there be light, there was light. And over and over again, he is who he is. He will be who he will be. He's infinitely holy and matchless in glory. So when God shows up to deliver his people, his people will be delivered. When he says it, it will happen. And the success of the mission here with Moses depends upon God's presence and on God's promises at work in and through the life of Moses. So God's presence comes with God's promises. And then God's promises come with God's plan. Verse 15 is another shift in the conversation between God and Moses. God's made it clear, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm hearing, this is what I'm going to do. He's made it clear so far. He's inviting Moses to join him and that he will be with him. He will keep his promises to Moses and to his people. But now it's time to talk about the how, right? If Moses is going to go do this, he needs kind of some marching orders, right? Football season has slowly been kicking off over the past couple weeks. And so think of this as kind of that pregame huddle, right? Right before the first play is run, right before the first snap is taken, this is God saying to Moses, here is what this first play is going to look like. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to run this. 
And God says to Moses, here's what you'll say. You're going to go to the people, and you're going to say this, exactly what I'm telling you to say. Then you're going to go to the elders, and you're going to say this. And this is how they're going to respond. He says, it's not going to be easy. You're going to go then to, to Pharaoh, but he isn't going to want to let you go. He's not going to let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. And so then I'll strike Egypt with wonders and with signs, and then he will let you go. But you won't go empty-handed, God says. You'll go with silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. God's promises come with God's plan. It's election season right now, and so turn on the TV, every commercial right, is somebody making a promise. Promises, though, that may or may not have plans to, to back them up. Or in our own lives, right? we can think of promises made to us that may have been broken, and we know the hurt that that brings. Maybe we were the one receiving the promise, or maybe we were the one that made the promise. We know that we can make promises with the best of intentions, but that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a plan or a clear path for us to get from point A to point B, for us to go where we said we would go or to do what we said we would do. But God's promises come with God's plan to bring those promises about. He sees, he hears, he acts to deliver his people. And God invites Moses to see and to hear and to join his mission. And God's mission comes with God's presence. God's presence comes with God's promises. God's promises come with God's plan. As we hear and see Moses' story this morning, maybe you've seen and you've heard some things that sound familiar. Because what we've seen repeatedly over this past month is this, that God's purposes and his plan for his creation is unbroken. The God who was at work in the life of Moses is at work in our world today. And what God was doing then, God is doing now because what God does always flows from his perfect and unchanging nature. He said, I am who I am. The God who heard and saw the need of his people in slavery in Egypt is the same God who sees and hears our need for rescue from our sin. The God who came down and came near to bring his people out of slavery and to bring them up into the promised land is the same God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Jesus, God has come down and come near to rescue those who believe in him from their sin. In the gospel of John, it's filled with these I am sayings. Jesus saying, I am, I am, I am, where he's identifying himself as the God that Moses encountered in the burning bush in Exodus 3. And so when Jesus would say in John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, we learn that Exodus 3 isn't just ancient history. I mean, it might make us weird. It might sound a little bit crazy today to say it, but we believe God is still the one who sees and hears and acts to deliver his people. And we believe he's done it fully and finally in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus came to this earth to rescue you from your sin. He lived a perfect life. He laid down his life on the cross and he was raised on the third day so that we might receive forgiveness from our sins and we might receive new life. We might be saved from our sins and saved to eternal life with him. This morning I would ask you, have you received the deliverance that Jesus offers to you? Right? If not, today is the day. 
And if you have received that then, today, like Moses, God's inviting you. He's inviting you to see and to hear and to join his mission, even when it might be inconvenient or uncomfortable or it might call us to uproot our lives as we know them. Jesus invites his disciples to join his mission, to be disciples who are making disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus invites us to join his mission. And his mission comes with his presence and his spirit dwelling within us. And his presence comes with his promise, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Sometimes we fail to join Jesus in his world-changing, life-transforming mission because we fail to see and to hear the needs of those around us for the good news that Jesus saves from sin. We fail to see it because we're so wrapped up in what we're doing and in the life that we're living in and what we've got to get to next. Right? Sometimes we just fail to see or recognize or take the time to notice the need around us. But I wonder if we also sometimes fail to join Jesus in his mission because we've forgotten his promises. Or do you ever find yourself saying or asking, much like Moses did, I mean, who am I? Right? Who am I to go and tell them about Jesus? Who am I to tell them that they should place their faith in him? Who am I with what I've done and who I am? Jesus would say to us this morning that it isn't about who we are. It's about who he is, right? It's about what he's doing and what he's called us to do. It's his mission. And so it depends ultimately not on our ability to persuade someone. It depends ultimately upon his presence, his promises, his plan, all things that he guarantees for us as we go. And so we might be tempted this morning to say that the similarities with God's presence and promises end there, right? We, we know we've got the Holy Spirit in us and God has promised to give us power. We would say, okay, I get that, but our, the similarities with Moses kind of stop there because we say it's difficult sometimes, right, for us to discern, right, what is God's will in my life? What is the next step? What's he leading me and calling me to do. It can be challenging to know exactly how to proceed, as I shared at the beginning of this message. It doesn't feel always like we've got all the details that Moses had in Exodus 3, but this morning I'm not sure that is really as true as we might think it is. Because as we look, what was God's plan for Moses? It was for Moses to share what God had said with his people and with the Pharaoh, and then it was this, that through Moses' proclamation, God would do the work to bring his people who had been calling out to him out of slavery in Egypt. Hear God's plan for us in Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Does it really sound all that much different from the plan that Moses received? And as with Moses, God doesn't tell us to expect an easy path. He tells us that we can expect opposition as we share the gospel and as we 
try to make disciples, but that doesn't change the plan because the plan isn't rooted in our power to persuade, but in the power of God's promises. That when we preach the good news about Jesus, when we share the word of God, then people will hear it. And when they hear it, they'll believe it. And the mighty hand of God will be at work. The spirit of God will move. And so when people believe, they'll call in the name of the Lord and he gives us a promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does that answer every question we might have about all the days of our lives on this earth and all the plans that we might want to make in our lives? No, it doesn't. But neither did the plan that God gave Moses. But it answers the most important question. It answers the question of, now what? Wherever you are this week, and whoever you meet, Jesus has invited you to join his mission, to share the good news that God has shared with you, to share what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus is doing and has done for those that you meet, to share that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our Heavenly Father, today we thank you and we praise you today. You're a God who sees, a God who hears, and a God who acts to deliver your people. When we were lost in our sin and far from you, Lord, you, you came near, Lord. You saw our need, and you sent your Son to rescue us from our sin. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and for the hope that we have because of what he has done for us, Lord. Pray this morning that if there is anyone here who is, who is joining us online who does not, know the, does not know the grace and the hope and the joy that comes with following Jesus, Lord, I pray that today would be the day when they would come to know that experience and to know that grace, Lord. And I pray that for those of us who are walking with Jesus today, Lord, that you would help us, help us to, to join you in the mission that you have for us, Lord, that we would be witnesses who don't just hear and don't just see, Lord, but who take what we've seen and heard in your word and in our lives and share it with those around us. Lord, that through, through your word and through your plan and through your power, that many would come to saving faith and saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that's our prayer today as we respond. Lord, we pray that you would help us to respond faithfully and obediently to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray.